Today on the Andrew Kubrider Show, we take a look at recent developments in the governor's race, including ad spending and Bashir's pipe dream, and then Cameron's claim that he didn't flip-flop on abortion. Coming into this last month, it's clear that politics is certainly afoot in the governor's race. And then for the podcast-only listeners, I'll talk about an event I went to last night and play a little bit of my speech for y'all from that event. We'll have all that and more today on the Andrew Cooper Rider Show. But first, please make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe. And as I said, there will be a portion of this show that is played only for the podcast listeners. And you can follow the podcast on iHeart, Amazon, Apple, Google, uh, Pandora, um, Spotify, every major podcasting platform you can think of. And as always, if you want to talk to the show, you want to send me an email, you want to communicate with me, the best way to do that is not through Facebook Messenger. I know a lot of you like to send me Facebook messages. That is not the best way to do it. The best way to do it is to email the show. And that is info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. That's the best way to go ahead and get a response. Without further ado, let's dig down into it. So this year, the airwaves have been uh, seen almost a billion dollars in TV ad spending to date across the country for politics. And I was saying something because this is generally an off-year election across the state country, and we're already seeing almost a billion dollars. And with the Kentucky governor race being the second biggest ad spend source with a total of $67 million so far, either spent or booked in ads for the governor's race. And that comes right after the U.S. presidential race at $208 million. So Kentucky's governor's race is the second uh, largest spend in the country for a race uh, in the country. And all of this, of course, um, is being spent on on advertising mailers, uh, those types of things. I, I mean, and, and anybody at all of you or interact with media of any kind, whether that's radio or TV or streaming or games on your phone, uh, YouTube ads, it's becoming more and more clear that this money is getting spent and some more effective than not. And, and one thing of note to anybody that may be listening to this that is making advertisements for the governor's elections, please note Louisville is said Louisville, not Louisville or Louisville. And when you cut an ad and you're saying Louisville like Louisville or Louisville, um, it's it just doesn't sound right. It, it turns everybody off, I think, the entire ad because it's quite clear that somebody from out of state made the ad that didn't bother to listen to it to know that Louisville was said incorrectly. And I have yet to hear a voiceover ad guy say it correctly. Though all these ads and ads watching do remind me of a pretty funny skit uh, from Reason TV. Uh, check it out. Your choice couldn't be more important. Our candidate is in flattering lighting and full bright color. Their candidate is in grainy high contrast black and white. Spotted through a telephoto lens from behind a bush. Coming back from God only knows where. Our guy points at the horizon and holds a baby. Their guy doesn't have a baby. Their guy has a golf club. The voiceover for our guy is calm, measured, bright. Their guy gets the lower register. And sometimes we slow down. 
Our guy has clean headlines and the beautiful lens flare America needs. Here's a scary graph over a photo of their guy awkwardly laughing. Snap zoom. Do you want a snap zoom like that in office? Here's a photo of our guy saluting military veterans. Jump cuts, flashes, static, aggressive colors. You can't trust a guy with graphics like this. Our guy gets stock footage of sunrises and an American flag. Their guy's flag is upside down and on fire. Intercut with overdue bills, war, and a crying baby. Our guy gets doctors and astronauts and stimulus checks. Flatline. An eagle. Hurricane. The Statue of Liberty. Crime scene tape. Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. A girl running in a wheat field to escape a dangerous sexual predator. Wilding. Atomic bomb. This election, the choice is yours. Their guy or our guy. Inspiring slogan. Oh, if that isn't a fantastic, I always find that skit so funny because that is a quite fantastic representation of exactly what political ads are and what they have uh, become. And that is what they are. And they're that way because it works. I mean, we say, we all say money buys elections, right? And we've said that well before people thought our elections were quote unquote stolen or what have you, but we've said money buys elections. And this is why money buys elections. You've got these flashy ads, you got the headlines, uh, you know, you've, you've got your mailers and things like that. And that wins the ads. And that's what we have to look forward to. And that's why all the ads are exactly that way. But Cutting through all the BS advertising and everything else and moving past these flashy ads and headlines, let's take a look at some true points of contention going on right now in the governor's race. You know, first, education has become a major talking point between the two of them and, of course, for good reason. First, almost half of the state's general fund goes to K through 12 education. That's half of your sales tax, half of your income tax, half of every single state tax that isn't earmarked for specific fund or reason like your, you know, your gas tax or tire tax or taxes like that, that are earmarked for specific things, gas tax for roads, tire tax for, I believe rubber disposal, tire disposal. Um, and so, you know, those taxes exist there for a very specific, uh, reason to fund something specific, but your general fund, which is your sales tax, your income tax, half of that. So another way to say that is 3% of everything you purchase, nearly 3% of everything you purchase is going to our K through 12 education. And, um, you know, and, and so what we're seeing also is another reason. And that is that Bashir is trying to ride that teacher vote to victory again. It worked well for him in 2019 and he's trying to capture that lightning in a bottle again, but how, I mean, Cameron hasn't uttered words that the media could blow up to say he hates teachers outside of, of course, them trying to lambast him for school choice. And all Bashir has really then for Cameron is school choice. And he should be promising you more um, like I am. That's what Bashir says. I can promise you more than Cameron can. Uh, you know, I can promise you 11% raise, which sounds nice, but that's because what Bashir is promising the teachers, he's promising all school personnel, 11% raise. He knows he can't deliver and he can't deliver it because he hasn't talked to the legislature. He doesn't even bother working with them. He just yells at the camera, this is what people need, and then yells about the legislature without even bothering to talk to him. And when you operate in that way, you can promise anything you want to and never have to worry about having to actually deliver on the issues and deliver on your promises. You can just point to them. And now this promise of a raise and a raise and a raise for teachers and teachers personnel has been something Bashir has been saying year after year 
for years, and it truly is just a campaigning point, not something he makes any real headway on. Check this out. Here's a news report for 20 from 2019. Let's take a listen to look at is that we have a major teacher shortage. Democrat Andy Bashir says if elected governor, he'll give every teacher a $2,000 pay raise, but he is short on details about how he will fund the $84 million endeavor. We're going to prioritize it. You know, a budget is a values document. And what you value most, you ensure that you fund, and that's exactly what we're going to do. So that was from 2019 when he's running against Bevin. He says, hey, look, I'm going to give you $2,000. Well, here's a year ago. Uh, now, here's another news report. This is from a year ago. Well, today, Governor Andy Bashir laid out his education first plan to advance student learning and ease the teacher shortage. Here are the main steps of that plan. To raise teacher and staff pay, Bashir is proposing a 5% raise for every school employee in Kentucky. So that was one year ago. He was proposing a 5% raise for every school employee in Kentucky. And now here he is just one month ago making his new pitch. Well, Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir calls for an 11% pay raise for teachers and all school personnel. Today, Bashir outlined his education first budget plan. So for those of you keeping track at home, Bashir promised a $2,000 raise, then a 5% raise for all staff. And now it's an 11% raise for all staff. Just what happened between a year ago and now? A year ago, it was 5%. And now it's 11%. Can he point to any specific reason why? He suddenly has increased his ask raise by 6%, more than doubling it. I, 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 it's, it's like the price is right. Not even the price is right. It's like, it's like he's gambling with things that are just made up. It's like this doesn't really matter. I mean, the percentages are really made up and the points don't matter for those of you who's ever seen uh, who's on his anyway. He says the the scoring's made up and the points don't matter. And so in this case, Bashir, he's saying, hey, the points are made up and they just don't matter. It doesn't matter what I say. Why? Well, frankly, because Bashir doesn't have to worry about trying to deliver on it. The legislature has control of the budget. And now that is something Cameron has been very quick to point out on. You know, Cameron recently said, uh, quote here, it is a verifiable fact that this governor has no relationship with the legislature and has no ability to get his plan passed. His plan is a Hail Mary in an election year with no plan and no strategy. A vote for the present administration is a vote for a decade of decline for our children, unfulfilled promises for our teachers and empty rhetoric for our families which is true. Bashir can't deliver and Cameron can. You can be rest assured that if Cameron is talking about concrete policy and one of the only places where he is talking about concrete policy and concrete points is on his catch-up plan, which includes a raise for new hires. It's clear that that means he can get it done and he can get it handled. Now, the other part about what Cameron is talking on, and this now causes some concern because he's talking openly about policies on his catch-up plan, but the only other place that I'm aware of right now he's talking about policies on at all, and part of it is the media is hitting him on it, is about abortion and his flip-flop on it. And on that, Cameron has recently claimed that he's been consistent on abortion. He never flip-flopped on it. And we'll be taking a look at how true that is after this short break. 
Now, I covered this a week or so ago in depth on Cameron's flip-flop, and he, in fact, flip-flopped. I played for you the clips and everything else. But Cameron is now claiming that he never flip-flopped, and it's all in our imagination, and we're going to take a look at that. Now, I just laid into Bashir, and you heard me do that, going after Bashir for just making up percentages and doing things that don't matter, uh, and politicking, and, and I'm going now to say some things about Cameron, about his politicking. I like to keep it honest, and I'm going to tell you a little secret. You have two men. Bashir and Cameron, and neither of them are independently very wealthy, where they have 10 or 20 million at least to burn on their own. And I'm sure they have some money. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure Bashir and Cameron both live very comfortably. Uh, I don't think they've got that kind of money, 20, 30 million to just blow. And so for both of them to get to the point where they can put millions of dollars in a primaries and pull in tens of millions of dollars in a general, or at least as much as Bashir is Cameron, it's arguable whether or not it's just, you know, you, you could say any Republican can pull in that amount. We'll get to that in a second, but at least for the primaries, I, cause you know, in the generals, you can make an argument that will parties rally around them, yada, yada, yada. The parties will shift money in there, but you got to bring in a million, two and a half million or so in order to win a governor primary like Cameron did, or like Bashir has in the past. And you, in order to do that, in order to pull in a few million, if you don't just have it to burn, you will have to have sold your soul at least a little bit along the way and need to be a very, very good politician. So you have to have sold your soul to pull in that money and you have to be a very good politician. And you see, this is the real danger of career politicians and career, not just politicians, but people who work a career in politics. When your life slash career depends on you making uh, a decision, right? And, and, and those decisions, you know, when you're in a career, you got to make decisions about, and it affects your life. And that affects how you make those decisions. And the decisions you need to make are things like, you know, uh, money, time, advancement, and, and, and understand, like I said, I'm not just talking about politicians, but people who make a career in politics. This is why, you know, when I hear people like growing up, or hear of people growing up saying they've always wanted to be in politics or they always wanted to be in office or, or people who get a degree in political science with a plan to make a living in politics uh, or to be, you know, in, in politics in, in some sort of way, it scares me. And the reason why those people scare me and these career people in politics and politicians, career politicians scare me is because I work, you work. We make decisions in our work based upon what is going to further our goals and serve my goals and myself the best. And you should when it comes to your job, your company, your career. That's normal behavior trying. You know, you try to find enjoyment in what you do, and then you make career moves that personally benefit you and your goals the most, whatever that may be. It could be making more money, having more time with your family, living in a different place. Whatever your career goals are, you're going to make decisions and make moves that best serve your career goals. However, when you make those types of decisions in a normal workplace, in a normal working environment, it somewhat can affect others. You know, obviously, oh, I made a decision and it was a bad decision. People got laid off from a company or those types of things. 
they may affect your family, but they don't really affect an entire society at large, right? Um, but when you work in politics, the decisions you make can affect an entire country, a state, a county, a city, depending on the level you're at. And I think, I think, so you have a bunch of people who are making career moves, trying to serve themselves, but the ramifications of these people making these career moves, these career politicians, these career people who work in politics, the ramifications of their career moves is it affects an entire population. You know, if I get this policy passed or if I get this spending plan in place, I might just score a big job on some administration because I was able to successfully lobby it or to get that bill passed because that's what pays me the most. That's how I make my living. But that then costs society, can cost society at large. Or even for those who are uh, campaign consultants and make a living at that, that is their job. Um you know, it's about, well, how much is this person willing to pay me? Is this person willing to pay me the most? And if so, that's who I'll help get elected. It, it, it just seems like a heavy way to live to me. It seems like, you know, you, you put forward your effort and your time into helping pass a policy or helping get a person elected. And then what if that policy or that person destroys people's lives? What do you say? Them's the breaks, kids? I've heard people are trying to make their career in politics say that. Oh, it's all part of the game. So they say to justify themselves. Oh, this is part of the game. You just got to love the game. I've actually said that because I've asked them, how do you live with yourself when you help people get elected that turn out to be worse for society? Or when you help people get policies in place that you know you disagree with and destroys people's lives, or you help get somebody elected who's incredibly corrupt and self-serving they say, well, that's the game. And I just love the game. That's what these people say. But it's not a game. These are people's lives. And this, the decisions you make and guilt, they affect everyone. And maybe that's why I could never be a true career politician or a career person that works in politics. Because, of course, I would feel guilt over how my decisions affect others. If I help somebody get elected that then turns around and doesn't represent constitutional values and principles, what our country was always supposed to stand for, I would feel bad. And I can't make the moves that maybe others are willing to. I can't sell my soul like others are willing to, like probably you're not willing to, because I'm held up by silly things like morals. <laughs> and I care about how the decisions actually end up affecting others. What I mean by that is, is while I recognize that government can do good sometimes, government doesn't produce and so it has to take from somebody else. And my morality says we should never be taking from someone else and making people suffer so other people don't have to suffer under self-inflicted wounds. That just seems wrong to me. That's why I believe in the Constitution. That's what our government was founded on. But how does this relate to the governors? Well, both Andy and Cameron are this way. They have gotten to where they are because they've really just pushed forward themselves and, and, and made decisions for themselves and, and everything, any deals they needed to make, they made in order to pull in the millions needed to win governor's primaries and governor's elections because they themselves are not wealthy. They also have to be good at politicking and oh boy, are we seeing a bit of a masterclass on politicking from Cameron 
right now. And by masterclass, I mean, if you're not paying attention, uh, it will leave your head spinning and hard to keep track of what he is saying. Uh, and as I said, everybody says it, everybody does it. This isn't just something Cameron does. We don't need to bear our hands in the sand, heads in the sand here. Both Bashir and Cameron do this, pick your poison. Um, but they both politicking. Cameron is politicking here. So how's Cameron politicking? Well, 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 he's saying, don't trust your lying ears. I never flip flopped on abortion. Here's what played out on Larry Glover live recently. This is a direct quote. Larry asked him, he said, I guess you made news, I guess a week or so ago, when you came out and said that you would sign legislation that you'd provide exceptions for rape and incest to Kentucky's abortion law. Is that a newfound feeling or is this something you've always held? Cameron responded by saying, no, I've maintained consistency on this. Look, I'm a pro-life candidate in this race. And what I've said is I support the Human Life Protection Act. Cameron, uh, that's what he said on the Kentucky's, of course, trigger ban. Now, to be fair, he has always said, he, it is true, he has always said he supports the exemption in the Human Life Protection Act. And that exemption in the Human Life Protection Act, that's the only exemption he supports. If you go back and you listen to the uh, episode that I did where I went over his flip-flop and I played for you the clips, uh, you'll hear that he says the exemption he supports is the one in the Human Life Protection Act. And the only exemption that has is in case of the life of the mother. Now, if that's all he said, you'd say, okay, so I guess he's flipping back. Is that just a slip of the tongue he had last week? What's the explanation? But he doesn't stop there. He goes on. He added this. But if the law in the intervening period was to change, meaning the court or somebody made it a judgment that we had to add exemptions and our legislature put those in, of course, I would sign it. Now, he wasn't saying that before. That's a pretty big but, if I do say myself. That but's, that but's pretty big. A but that has, of course, came after the primary. Understand what he is saying is he's, a, he, he's, he's doing some weird rigmarole with his language, too, here. He's equating the judge in the legislature to be the same thing. I mean, listen to this again. He said, meaning the court or somebody made it a judgment that we had to add exemptions and our legislature put those in. Of course, I would sign it. The court or somebody made the judgment? Who is the somebody outside the courts? Who outside the courts, Cameron? would make a judgment that they would have to add exemptions. Well, he gives it away in the next sentence what he means. He's saying the legislature making the judgment, not just the judge. If he's saying, look, I support the law, but if a judge comes in and says the law is uh, uh, not allowed because it doesn't have exemptions for rape and, and incest, well, then we'll, we would, of course, have to add that in because we're being mandated to do so by the courts. But that isn't what he said. He didn't just leave it at the court's. He said, meaning the court or somebody made it a judgment that we had to add exemptions. That somebody, of course, he's talking about the legislature. Remember what I said earlier on, Cameron isn't saying things without talking to the legislature. He has talked to the legislature, I am sure, about providing these exemptions and passing a law on it. The question is, is how badly is Cameron pushing for it and if the legislature is going to go for it. But what Cameron is doing here is he's trying to have his cake and eat it too. He's basically saying, I only support life of the mother. Then I get elected. Then, so Cameron says, I only support life of the mother. Then he gets elected. Then he's, but 
if perhaps possibly the legislature somehow on their own decided to allow more exemptions, even though I don't personally agree, but you know, they made a determination it was needed. So I would have to sign it against my will, of course, but you know, I would have to because, well, you know, and this is why I really, really hate politics sometimes. Don't you? I mean, it's quite clear what he's doing here. He's trying to maintain he never flip-flopped when he quite clearly flip-flopped. He can't just come out and say, yeah, I flip-flopped on it. Got to get elected, you know. And I think this is the best thing I need to do. I think I need to compromise what I say I believed in just a few months ago in order to get elected. That's just what I need to do. He can't say that because that's just too honest. So instead, he's trying to make it sound like, well, I'm just saying, you know, if the courts made me do it, I'd do it while slipping in somebody in the legislature. I see what he's doing. You see what he's doing. I don't think it's the right thing to do. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like Bashir somehow moral better. He's clearly not. But you just wish one time we might have a politician that might be slightly a little bit honest that makes it to the general election. Well, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooper Show. For the Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube listeners and Rumble, for those people watching the video format on those, that is uh, uh, all we have for you. But for those of you listening to the podcast version, stay with us after this short break. I'll go over an event I went to last night and play some of my speech for you. And if you want to hear this part, make sure you're listening to the podcast version available on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple, iHeart, Stitcher, uh, Google Podcasts, um, Pandora. You know, if you name it, we're probably on there. Just search the Andrew Cooper Show. And without... We'll be back, I guess, after this short break. All right. So last night I uh, attended and was asked to speak at a fundraiser for Representatives Marion Proctor and Representative Steve Rawlings, two very great, amazing representatives that I full heartedly support and endorse. Sorry. And endorse. Um, there were some other people there too, as well. Steve Doan was there as well, Representative Doan. It wasn't a fundraiser for him. He's having a fundraiser tonight, actually, up there. But I say that because I want to play some of my speech that I had uh, for them. Obviously, I am trying to uh, make sure the people in the room, there's probably about 80 to 100 people there, um, and making sure they knew to support these individuals and why they needed to support them and why it was so incredibly important. So I'm going to play this speech for you all. Um, Take a listen. Those of you who don't know, my name is Andrew Cooperetter. I love being in Boone County. And part of the reason why is because while I was running for state treasurer, I did win Boone County. Thank you all so very much. I appreciate it. For those of you who don't know who I am, um, I'm a business owner out of Lexington that during 2020, my coffee shop was forced closed by the local health department. And I said no, and I remained open. And one thing I've learned from that altercation is the true meaning of character. Because character is following through long after the excitement of the moment has left. I can tell you, during the exciting moment when the TV cameras were there and people were there talking, we had lines out the doors. But just when they said, hey, you know what, you don't have to wear a mask anymore, we're going to allow you to not have to wear a mask anymore. Not... You made us 
not force it on you, but we're going to allow you to do it, the excitement for a lot of people wore off. But I can tell you, I am still in court three years later with the governor, still asking for permission to do business. There are hundreds of other business owners that either just got their liquor licenses back or came or are still in court like I am fighting it. And this speaks to our legislators up in Frankfurt. This is not a story I've ever really told before, so I'm going to tell you guys about it. Shortly after I stayed open and there was a lot of excitement, Damon Thayer, I was at an event and Damon Thayer was there and he was speaking. And um, he called me out and he said, oh, I see Andrew's back there, you know, of course, a celebrity of the moment. You guys up here know he went over to Beans and shook Richard's hand. He probably doesn't like him too much anymore either. But he looked me in the eye and he said, I'll do everything I can to get you your licenses back. That was the December before the 2021 session. And a leadership member in the House, not going to say any names, but it rhymes with Rudy, uh, <laughs> stopped a piece of legislation that would allow anybody whose licenses were taken away or affected due to COVID mandates to be returned to them. His stated reason was, well, we don't want to reward lawbreakers. These are Republicans. Our leadership in the House that says what Annie Bashir does is wrong, but at the same time says those who stood up to him and said no were breaking the law and were wrong to do so. That is what we're dealing with in Frankfurt. And we are to blame for that. Because we've spent far too long not paying enough attention. We've spent far too long not investing in our futures. We broke our government because we vote off dumb things like text messages and postcards and TV ads, and we don't bother to actually research the voting records of the people we support and are voting for. And when that happened, elections started to be bought. And the people who buy these elections, they're not doing it out of the kindness of their hearts. They're doing it to make a profit. They profit off of you. They make money off of you. I'm not just talking about a few thousand here or there. There are tens of millions of dollars right now in this state that is being jerked around based upon who can give the governors the most amount of money. This is why our politics is broken. And that's why it takes us together to give to candidates like Rawlings and candidates like Representative Proctor, well, current candidate candidates that are currently in office, <laughs> to give to those who are fighting for us. Because those who have a vested interest in controlling the outcomes of your lives, those who profit from it, are coming after them. We know Ed Massey has filed against Rawlings. Apparently he wants to rehash that fight. About four or five months ago, I sat next to Ed Massey at a little event. There was about 15 people there. And he was uh, complaining about the fact that Rawlings beat him like a redheaded stepchild. <laughs> and he said, well, when only 3,000 people show up to vote, this is what's going to happen. Only 3,000 people show up to vote, I'm gonna lose. Why is that, Ed? Is it because you need more dumb masses to just cast a vote next to the incumbent without considering the actual voting record of the individual? That is what they rely on. 
But that's why it takes everybody in this room to donate and to go out. Make sure you knock those doors. Grab people and tell them this is what's going on. Because I'll tell you a little secret. Representatives, not these ones. Representatives, and that one over there, I'm pretty sure he's okay. But, <laughs> representatives will lie to their people. How many of you have ever heard a representative tell their constituents a bill did something or didn't do something that it quite clearly did? How many people have seen that? Raise your hand. It's incredibly infuriating. It drag I've gotten into Facebook arguments with representatives. Where I'm like, no, that's what the bill does. No, it doesn't. Here's a copy of the bill. That's what it says. No, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, they, they read it. They just don't want it to say what it means. Here's a little secret. Nobody wants to be the villain in their own story. When they're controlling your lives, they believe they're doing it for your best interests. How many of you are aware of CAR? Crisis Aversion Rights Retention Act. How many of you are, ever heard of that? That isn't a representative. <laughs> you need to know about this. This is being proposed by Republicans, and they're trotting out mothers of victims of gun crimes in order to pass a red flag laws here in Kentucky where you, not accused of a crime, will be drugged in front of a judge and have to defend your right to own a firearm despite the fact you have never done anything wrong. Republicans. This isn't a Democrat wish list. This is a Republican pushing that forward. These are the kinds of things we have got to be aware of and we've got to be fighting. How many of you watch the con law hearings like I do? You're not a nerd. That's okay. I don't, I don't blame you. I'm a nerd. Those of you unaware, I do a daily podcast on politics called the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. So, of course, I watch these dumb things. Anyways, I don't know how you do it. The pompous jerks on this committee, oh my goodness. How do you not punch him in the face? I've got real, you have more restraint than I do. My gosh, Senator Meredith, ugh. I saw him dressing down somebody the other day. I'm like, what a jerk you think? You think you control all of God's miracles? Think so highly, how do you fit through the door? Big head with that. But anyways, that's who we're dealing with. These people who don't think the Constitution matters, they don't think the state Constitution matters, they just care that they know best. And that's why they want to control you. They know best. You're just an idiot. How can you be trusted? You've got to deliver because if you don't have their back, if we don't support the people we send up there to do the hard work and they can get picked off, what is the incentive to anybody else to do the right thing? If we can't show we can protect the people that do the right thing, why would anybody do it? There's no profit in doing the right thing. We've got to show that not only can we get good people elected, but we can protect them so we can make a forward motion here in Kentucky. So there you all go. That was uh, part of my speech there from last night. Obviously, if you have events or things you need me to come out and make speeches at, just send me a request at info at theandrewshow.com, info at theandrewshow.com. But I hit upon some important things there. And the key takeaway I want you to take away from that is if, if you're somebody who wants to see a difference, you want to see a change, you got to be supporting those representatives. You got to be supporting uh, those people that are doing the right thing while you're calling out the people doing the wrong thing. And as I said in the speech, there is no profit in doing the right thing. You can't make millions of dollars in politics to fund your next campaign if you're not willing to sell your soul. And these individuals, they're in house seats. It's easier for them to hold on to them, of course. 
uh, because it's not as expensive to run an effective campaign. You only have about three or 4,000 voters. But that's why the people's house, the house, the people's, the people's uh, uh, chamber, the house, is so incredibly important. And that's why uh, you should be supporting these people. So uh, if you can, please make sure you donate to Marion Proctor or Steve Rawlings, representatives uh, up there in northern Kentucky, and help them continue to win for liberty and for the Constitution here in Kentucky. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooper Show. I thank y'all so, so much for joining me. See you back here tomorrow at 1 o'clock. Have a great rest of your day.